All right, gang, grab your Bibles and let's get back to work. Enough of this chit-chat. Go with me to um, Joshua chapter 7. Now, guys, um, I'm going to read you the whole chapter again. And you know I, 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 I hesitate to read you 27 verses. But, gang, um, if I were reading you 27 verses out of Leviticus, it would be difficult. Or 27 verses out of Ecclesiastes, that might be difficult, too. But this is, this is Joshua. This is a story. This is an event. This is, a, this is a, 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 an episode in the life and history of Israel that I really think is easy to listen to. It, because it has, it, it really has, it, it grabs you. Because it's, um, it's a swashbuckling story uh, uh, of a, about a man who led Israel, whose name was Joshua. So this is one episode out of that story. I want to read you the entirety of Joshua chapter 7. You follow as I read. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he is, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. 
And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, then the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against, <clears throat> against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 20, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today, and all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. You know, guys, over the years, um, I have mentioned a, um, an episode in the Old Testament that is associated with Moses. I've mentioned it several times. It, it seems very appropriate to mention it today. Because it's kind of the first Sunday that, uh, of the new, of the third decade. <clears throat> but, I, but I've mentioned it several times. Um, it's found in Exodus 33. You may remember when I tell it to you, it's um, Exodus 33, of course, is right after Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is the golden calf incident. Um, the golden calf, uh, you know, that they made and Moses had the Ten Commandments and he came down and he saw them dancing around this golden calf and he threw down the, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments and, and then so many of Israel perished because of their idolatry. That's in 32. Well, in 33, Exodus 33, uh, God tells Moses that he's about to move them. They're going to move away from uh, the location at Sinai and they're going to move on. And uh, then God adds in Exodus 33, I think it's verse 15 or so, uh, God says, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says something like this. If you're not going to go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. Because Moses knew that the most important thing for God's people is that God be in their midst. That God's presence was the sin quanon. You know what that is? You've seen that little Latin phrase in your reading, sin quanon. You know what that means, sin quanon? It means uh, without which nothing. That's what sin, sin without which nothing. 
without the presence of God among God's people, you have nothing. The, the presence of God is the sin qua non of all of church existence, of all of church life, of all of church experience, of all of church programs, of all of, of all of everything. The sin qua non is the presence of God. Now, um, in, in this story, in chapter 7, if you'll, um, if you look with me back at verse 12, verse 12 seems to be really kind of the hinge of the whole story. And, and verse 12 is really kind of making the same point that I just made out of Exodus 33. <clears throat> but, um, look at verse 12. Middle of it, they turn their backs before their enemies because they have become they have become devoted for destruction. Here it is. I will be with you no more. Now, guys, what what could be more frightening to God's people than to hear? I will be with you no more. What if somehow God had um, spoken to me in the night and um, and uh, said, Jimmy, listen, listen, I want you to go to church tomorrow and, and I want you to gather those people that are that are called Gracie Van and, and I want you to tell them something for me. And I, here, here's what I want you to tell. It's very simple, Jimmy. This is all I want you to tell them. You just tell them, I will be with you no more. That's it. No more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For 20 years, I have borne with you, Gracie Van, but that's it. I will be with you no more. Now, gang, what is it that brought on that statement in Joshua 7? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? It was sin. So, stay with me and see if this is a logical, um, a logical sequence here. Uh, so, if God is to remain, sin has to go. Isn't that pretty much the, the, uh, the message here? Is it too much of a stretch to say that the apparent absence of God in, in much of what the church and churches do is is the result of our unwillingness to expunge sin from our midst? I think that's the point of the story. I think if you want to read the story and then you step back and you kind of try to get a panoramic view on, on what's going on in this story, the point is the explanation for the impotence of the Christian church today is our refusal to get the sin out of our midst. Ladies and gentlemen, is is that attitude of Moses, is that gone from the 21st century church? That attitude about, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. Is that gone? Does that no longer exist? 
Do we no longer believe that as, as God's people? Huh? Are, are, we, are, we, um, are we ready to conclude that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish without him? And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're tempted to uh, think that this is, well, this is an Old Testament story and nothing like this would ever happen in the enlightened New Testament, then you need to read Acts chapter 5, which is a story about Ananias and Sapphira, because it's very similar to this story. Now, gang, I, I want you to keep all that in mind, uh, that, that little principle, that, <clears throat> um, as we take a look at this story, really in, in, in three parts. Uh, I want to tell you the story, and then I want to tell you something about... Uh, what the story becomes, or what, how it was used later on, and then how we, we might be able to use it presently. First of all, um, just to refresh your memory about the story, the story really begins back in chapter 6. You remember, um, it was Joshua, I mean, it was Jericho, that was uh, the, the, the formidable city, and the walls have fallen down, and the, and the, uh, the Israeli army has uh, descended upon Jericho and has, and has destroyed all the inhabitants of Jericho. Well, one of those soldiers in the Jew, in the, in Israel's army was a guy by the name of Achan. And while Achan was doing his job as a soldier, he, he spots this slab of gold and some silver and a, and a nice looking suit. And he says, you know, I'd really like to have that. Looks around him and he thinks, so, you know, there's nobody really looking. And so he thinks like so many of us do. He thinks, uh, well, you know, if nobody sees me, I mean, uh, if nobody really knows that I've done this, then, I mean, how, how could that hurt? I mean, no big deal if they can't see it, if nobody knows about what happened. And then, by the way, that's, uh, we'll come back to the story in a minute, but look at, at verse 21 of his confession. Uh, this is in chapter 7. He, he says, uh, when I saw the spoil, then I coveted, then I took. I saw, I coveted, and I took. Ladies and gentlemen, th- those three verbs in that same exact order are found in Genesis chapter 3. In the Garden of Eden, I saw, I coveted, and I took. And then he adds, I hid. I saw, I coveted, I took. And it's the same sequence that has spelled doom for so many of us ever since Genesis 3. No sooner was the gift of God realized, the gift that is the victory over Jericho, no sooner had that been, had been given than Achan, than Achan decides... You know, I'd really be happy if, if I could have that gold. <laughs> you know, it's all nice that God's done this great thing for us and everything. You know, that's really nice. But uh, what would really make me happy is if I had some of that gold. And so he takes it. And the interesting thing to me is, ladies and gentlemen, no sooner had he taken it. Then he had to hide it. You know, um, sin, sin always look better, looks better from a distance than, um, than it does up close, doesn't it? That affair that was so titillating to, to consider became such horror. 
after it happened. Oh, it was fun to consider. And then once it happened, it was awful. Sin is always like that, ladies and gentlemen. It always promises something that it can't deliver. And then, back to the story, AI. <laughs> oh, AI. Um, the unexpected, the unpredictable AI. Little city, little, little small place, two miles just north of uh, Jericho. Uh, I mean, Israel had every reason to expect that, that uh, they could whip up on AI. That is, if... God were with them. But he wasn't. And because he wasn't, the smallest of challenges overwhelms them. Why? Because, because sin is in the camp. My brother and sister in Christ, listen to me please. God has so many AIs at his disposal. You know that, don't you? So many things that are unpredictable. So many things that are unexpected that he uses to drag my sin out of the dark and bring it into the light. Do you think for one minute Aiken was thinking about, well, I better not do this because, you know, when we fight AI, we might lose. Do you think that ever crossed his mind? No. No, but, but I'm simply saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that God has AIs galore at his disposal to expose our sin. So, whereas the, the cause of this defeated AI is fairly clear, so is the cure fairly clear but it's that cure it's that dealing with sin that the 21st century reader will simply not stand for that whole business in 24 verses 24 and 25 when they took him outside and his family and his donkeys and all that business and stoned him and burned him? No, 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 Jimmy. Um, that's a little, that's a little overreaction, I think. You see, we don't think that breaking Yahweh's covenant is a big deal. We, we don't understand what all the fuss is about. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> Uh, we, we don't understand why they had to do this, because sin doesn't bother us that much. I mean, it, that's why when we come to stories in the scriptures, like Exodus 32, we're mystified. Like when when uh, all those people were killed because of their idolatry. Ooh, 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 that's a, that's a little much, that's a little barbaric. We come to... Um, uh, Numbers 25, where Phineas takes a spear and rams that woman and that man uh, d- 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 through, kills them both. 
And he's applauded by God for the zeal of Phineas. We listen to Jesus say, um, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. And we say, huh? If your right hand offends you, chop it off. And we say, what? What is the big deal here? And then we come to the part in the story that absolutely will make your stomach queasy. If you will existentially enter this, it'll make you queasy. Because it's the part of the story where Achan gets found out. Most of us are far more afraid of being found out than we are ashamed of the sin itself. Oh, that terrible process of being found out. And, and, it, and it starts in, in verse 16. And, and it's by lot. You know, it, I, I don't know how to explain casting lots, but the best I can do is just give you, it's like rolling dice. That's not exactly right, but it's close enough for our purposes. So here's what happens on a certain sunny spring morning. All of Israel is called, um, you know, called out into the public square. They roll the dice. And with one roll of the dice, 11 twelfths of the suspects are eliminated. Twelve tribes, one roll of the dice. Eleven of them gone, we're down to Judah. One quick little incident, eleven twelfths of the suspects are eliminated. And at that point, the clock begins to tick. And then Judah is brought forward. I don't know how many clans there were, but about all the clans, the Zerahites are taken. And, 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 and can't you just see now that Achan's blood pressure is beginning to rise? And um, we, we go through the Zerahites and the, 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 the family of Zabdi is taken. And now his palms begin to sweat. Fear begins to grip him. We're down to the Zabdi family. And then every man in the Zabdi family comes forward. And he is found out. But ladies and gentlemen, even before that last roll of the dice, Achan remains injured. He, he, he pretends innocence. And then it's what follows that is so hard for the modern reader to stomach. Verses 24 and 25. Whoa. Well, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, the thing that you, first thing I think you need to learn from verses 24 and 25 is the, is how it indicates the seriousness of sin. And before you conclude that this is too harsh, verses 24 and 25, and 
or, or, or cons- consider it barbaric. L- let me mention a couple of three things to you just, just to help you understand verses 24 and 25. First of all, Achan had plenty of time to come forward with his sin, but he didn't. Um, you know, one wonders if, if he hoped that somebody else would be blamed, that somebody else would take the rap. And, and if somebody else had been identified, what would he have done? Would he have thrown the first stone? Tell me, husband, wife, tell me this. Would it make any difference for you that your spouse came forward with their sin as opposed to being caught? Would that make any difference to you? I think it would. But through this whole process, he continues to to think, well, maybe they'll take somebody else and they'll stone them. But not only that, secondly, 36 people lost their lives as a result of Achan's sin. What do you say to their families? Hey, did y'all see that, that, that clip on the news this week? I think I saw it Monday. I forget it was on one of my elliptical dimes. But um, this, this young mother who, um, whose 16-year-old son had committed suicide, did y'all see this? Apparently the 16-year-old kid had been found with drugs, and he went before this judge in this, this I don't even know what state it was in, but um, he went before this judge, and this judge committed him to a detention center. And as a result of being in the detention center, the kid killed himself. And then it was found out that the judge was getting a kickback from the detention center where he was sending people. And this mother, and they had this news clip, this mother came in contact with this judge who's now been found guilty of whatever you call that, racketeering or whatever it is. And she was out of her mind. Could you blame her? I mean, um, what do we tell to these 36 wives? And the, and the children, and when their daddy's gone, and their husband's gone, and their brother's gone, because of you, Aiken. But then perhaps worse than all of that, ladies and gentlemen, is that Aiken's actions had cost them God's favor and God's presence. And if you'll notice in verse 26, after the sin has been dealt with and was eliminated and God's anger is allayed, then um, the favor returns. Tell me, guys. Which do you think is harsher? What happened to Aiken and his family? Or the loss of God's presence among God's people? Which are you more willing to live with? You know, some of us see this as barbaric. Because we don't see, because we see sin as small. We see that is big because sin is small. Well, guys, for God, sin is big. So big that the only way that it could be dealt with is through the sacrifice of his only begotten beloved son to pay for it. Now, there's an insight for you. One of the measurements of the bigness of sin 
Is the bigness of the payment? Is the bigness of the remedy? Sin was so big that only God could pay for it? So, guys, if this, that's, if, if verse 24 and 25 offends you, then perhaps you could think of it like this. Maybe you could see it as just an illustration of how much God hates sin and how much God loves sinners like me that he would provide a remedy like Christ. Just to illustrate, I don't know if this will help. Let's imagine that you and I are neighbors. And one day I'm gone and you're out in your front yard working in the yard and, and a package delivery service comes and there's a package for me and the guy comes over and says, would you sign for this? And he, you say, well, I'll be glad to. And, and, but there's a little bit of postage due uh, left on it and so you pay the postage due. And later on when I get home, you bring the package over and you say, you know, there's a little bit of package, uh, postage due, but I, I, I took care of it. Well, he said, well, thanks. That's very nice. And we learned that later, learned later that the package, uh, the postage due was 26 cents. He said, well, that was nice. That was nice, 26 cents. But then changed that just a little bit, and we discovered that the that the uh, that the postage due was eight hundred and thirty-seven dollars. I mean, do, do you see, guys? The price that you pay tells you something about the value of the deed. And and when you consider the price that was paid for my sin, paid for by God in the death of Jesus Christ, it tells you two things. It tells you, number one, it tells you the seriousness of sin. And then secondly, it tells you the greatness of God's love for sinners. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you minimize this story, Then in the end result, you may not stay with me, but I'll explain it to you. If you minimize this, you minimize the love of God. That's what you end up doing. Now, I've got to say two other things and then I'm done. But this place that is mentioned in verse 26 and verse 24 called the Valley of Achor, it comes up later. Do you, you know that? It comes up about 500 years later in... Um, in a small little book of one of the minor prophets whose name is Hosea. Hosea mentions this event 500 years later. He he mentions this place, and by mentioning the place, he mentions this event. And uh, the statement is found in chapter 2, I think it's verse 15. And God is speaking in 2.15, and he says this in, in Hosea. He says, I will make the valley of Achor... A door of hope. Now, gang, Acor, the Valley of Acor, means the Valley of Trouble. It's a, it's a little bit of a play on Achan's name. But God says, I will make that Valley of Trouble. I will make that a door of hope for you. And God uses this incident 500 years later to remind you That he can take the most devastating failure in our lives. And when it's dealt with correctly. 
turns it into a door of hope. There is no valley of Achor that cannot be turned into a door of hope. No failure that is so big that it need be final. One of his specialties is that he takes valleys of Achor, our failures, and he turns them into a door of hope. Now, one other little little morsel that I want you to chew on as you leave, and, and I'm done. Guys, what, what took place in AI, that defeated AI, has been and is being duplicated in churches all over this country, all over the world, and perhaps even here. That is, instead of enjoying God's blessing, His frown is upon us, perhaps. That is, instead of overcoming our enemies, we are overcome by our enemies. Why? Look at verse 11 in the text, guys. Uh, It says, they have taken some of the devoted things, they have stolen and lied, and here's what I want you to see. They've stolen and lied, and put them among their own belongings. The bad stuff has been allowed to have a place among us. We put it in with the other stuff. We put it in with among our other belongings. I mean, we got the choir, we got the music, we got the preacher, we got the teacher, we got the Sunday school classes, and we got the sin. And it's got to go. Individually, corporately. Oh, but Jimmy, you know, where is there a church anywhere where there's not going to be some sin? You make a good point. Yes. But guys, stay with me. You know that the Bible makes a distinction between, and, and the words that I use, this is not what the Bible uses, but the, 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 it makes a distinction between impeachable and non, unimpeachable sins. Actually, that's not the, as I said, it's not the, the language of the scriptures. And the scriptures talk about, um, um, sin that was done intentionally and sin that was done unintentionally. That's the language of the scriptures. But here's the verse that I want you to maybe take down. This is in Numbers 15, verse 30, where God says, But the person who does anything with a high hand. You know, Roman Catholicism makes a distinction between mortal and venial sins, and she's right to do so. In in terms of quality, all sin is equal, yes. But in terms of consequences, sin differs, ladies and gentlemen. You want an example? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that if you're angry, you've committed murder. Now let me ask you, would you rather me be angry at you or murder you? The quality of the sin is the same. They're both damning. But the consequences of the sin are different. Guys, all of us, at least I hope, all of us are struggling with our sinful flesh. But the key word is struggle. Once we decide that we've had enough of the struggle and we begin to sin with the high hand, 
once we give up that struggle and give way to sinful interests, we can expect AI after AI after AI. You know, guys, all of us, all of us understand what Paul mean or meant when he said, the good that I would I do not do, but the very evil I hate I find myself doing. But the key word in there is, I hate it. My brother and sister in Christ, do you hate your sin? I can assure you that God hates it. He hates it so much that the only remedy that he found was the sacrifice of his son on my behalf. And as bad as my sin is, Christ's finished work is better. Our Father, I do pray that you'll remind your people that sin is not um, a toy. That sin is uh, that which separates us from you. And I pray that you'll give us a great victory in our own individual and corporate struggles with it. But it all begins, Father, when when we recognize that Jesus Christ paid it all. And I pray if... For for every person in this room, that they might understand first that there is no other remedy for sin outside of Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, we will perish in a much more horrible way than did Achan. But in Christ, we are safe. Would you draw people to that Savior even this day? Ask Him, of course. In Jesus' name.